your Bible is the book of Psalms. We will project the verse, uh, verses up on the screen, but, um, and that's just to serve you. Some of us may not have a Bible, but I don't want to create bad habits for us uh, because the best thing you can do is to have your own Bible in your hands and to learn to get familiar with, with it and be reading it right in front of you. So don't feel guilty if you don't have a Bible. We don't, that's not why I'm saying that. But if you do, open your own Bible up. And if you'd like a Bible, we have some uh, blue Bibles at the back that someone would be gr- uh, glad to get for you. So would anyone like a Bible that doesn't have one? Just raise your hand and uh, we can get that to you. We'll be in Psalm 120 today. And uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Paul Buckley. I'm the pastor here. At King Grace Church, we're glad you're here with us. We pray God's blessing on you and refreshment as we look at His Word today. And by the way, uh, the Walk for Life coming up, I'll be walking, so I would love to have your sponsorship for that. The money will go to this wonderful ministry to um, families and moms and babies in crisis. So uh, that, that sign-up's at the back. So we're starting a new series. We've been in the book of Acts, and we're moving from that into a series that will take us through the summer called Songs for the Journey. And we're looking at Psalms 120 to 134. These are psalms in Scripture that are called Songs of Ascents. Songs of Ascents. And they, um, they are some psalms that were put together at some point by God's people under God's sovereignty. Uh, they are the very words of God. And these uh, 15 psalms all share uh, some themes. They are the songs of ascents, and it's understood. Uh, well, actually, there are different ideas about why they're called that. Uh, some people think that uh, these psalms were actually read by the choir, the Levitical choir, as during worship uh, at the key feast in Israel as they stood on the steps. So this ascents would be standing on the steps of the temple, and they would sing these different psalms at different times. That may have been what it, what it was. Um, others think that these songs were, uh, these psalms, which are songs, were sung by the people of God when they were being brought back from Babylon. They had, if you know the history of Israel, they had been called by God, they had been rescued by God from Egypt and made his own people to, to live by grace and faith and obedience, and they had wandered from God. And so God disciplined them by exiling them away from Israel. They went to Babylon, and then he brought them back. So one of the ideas is that these psalms were sung by the exiles as, as they made their way back to Jerusalem. Um, the other idea, another idea, is that these were songs that were sung by the Jews as they made their annual, uh, actually there were three annual pilgrimages they would make to Jerusalem. So Jerusalem really was the center of the life of God's people. It was the place where the temple was. It was the place where they came to come before God. It was where the presence of God dwelt. It was the place where they came to to make sacrifices so that their sins would be covered and that they would, uh, could experience God together. So it was a very special place, uh, Jerusalem was. And so these psalms were songs that were sung as they made those pilgrimages. Now, we don't know for sure which one of those ideas is what, in fact, was going on. But what we do know is that they were songs that were sung in anticipation of going to Jerusalem of going to what is called in Scripture often Zion, for the, the hill where Jerusalem was, is Mount Zion. They were songs that were sung in anticipation of going there and being with God, being with God together with His people in corporate worship. That was the highlight 
of the Old Testament people of God was to come and be at the temple and be together with God's people. And so these psalms all share these themes of going to Zion, of anticipating going to Jerusalem, of journeying to Jerusalem. And you may ask, well, why, why have a series on something that was done thousands of years ago? What does that have to do with us as the modern 21st century people of God? How do we relate to this? Well, the truth is that we are all on a journey as well. We are all on a journey anticipating our ultimate home, being with the Lord. And so these wonderful psalms speak to us. There are all seven of them speak of, of these themes, of going to Zion, of, of journeying, and, but there's all sorts of, of expressions. There's songs that are cry, psalms that are cries of distress. There are prayers for God's blessing, declaration of God's character and promises, celebrations of His blessings, instructions in wisdom, quiet meditations and calls to praise, all within these 15 psalms. But again, all having that theme of being on a journey, going to Zion. I I can remember uh, some years ago, within Sovereign Grace, we used to have this annual conference. Back when Sovereign Grace, our our family of churches, was a smaller group, we would have an annual conference in Indiana, Pennsylvania, which sounds kind of funny. There's actually a town called Indiana, Pennsylvania. And... uh, we have some folks here from Indiana, Pennsylvania. Yeah. Um, and this is a town in, near Pittsburgh. Uh, and we would go there because there was a university we'd all meet at. And we'd have this big conference called Celebration. And it was a wonderful conference. Uh, and at, for our kids at the time, it was one of the highlights of the year for them. It was, I mean, it was up there with Disney World. It really was. Uh, going to this conference, just the, uh, uh, and this was a while ago now, when you think about it, nine or so years ago that, that it ended. Um, but it was just a great conference, excellent teaching, wonderful worship. Children's ministry was just incredible. It was like, it was like VBS on steroids uh, the whole week long for the kids. I mean, just wonderful teaching uh, for them. And uh, it was a great highlight. But it was like three hours or so to get there when we, we lived in Maryland. From here, we went one year or two. It was what, like eight hours to get there. And I can remember driving to this conference, really, with all of us anticipating it. And then as we went along, we'd see people driving, too, who you, you, you would know were going to the conference because they were minivans full of families and luggage and often a sign on the back, celebration or bust. Remember that. And they, there was just this sense of journeying together, anticipating this wonderful conference that we would enjoy. And I, I think that's kind of the sentiment in these psalms. There's a journey we're on. Uh, and we're anticipating our destination. We're anticipating being together in the Lord's presence. And really that describes life for us, doesn't it? That's what life is like. That's what it is to be a believer, to be a child of God right now. We are on a journey together. We're not at our final destination. We're going to talk about it as we go through. There are aspects of, of our experience now where we taste that final destination where we experience aspects of it, but we're not there until we're there. We're not there until we go to be with the Lord. And to live now is to live on a journey. And really what we need to learn is how to be a people journeying together to our final home. We need to learn how to be how to be pilgrims. That's what pilgrim means. That's why the original pilgrims were called pilgrims, because they as Christians understood they were on a journey to their final destination. And we must learn to live in this world as a pilgrim people. Really, to be a believer 
is to be a pilgrim person, to be a pilgrim people. And so we can learn from these psalms. These are wonderful psalms that instruct us through example how to live as a pilgrim people, how to set our hearts on our destination, how to set our hearts on God, how to walk together along the road, what the road looks like, because there's a lot of ideas we might have about what the journey is supposed to look like. Psalms and these songs of ascents teach us what the walk, what the journey looks like, how to live along the journey, how to pray and worship and wait as we journey along. I believe the Lord wants to teach us about that as we go to His Word. He loves us. He cares for us. He wants us to understand these things. So He's given us this wonderful book and He's given us these precious Psalms to learn from. So I'm excited about this summer going through these songs for the journey. Let's pray because we're going to look at Psalm 120 today. Let's pray and ask God to speak to us and to teach us from His Word. Lord, we thank You. We thank you for the songs of ascents, for these songs for the journey, these pilgrim songs. Lord, you hold truths in here that we need to hear, so we ask you to teach us. Lord, there are ways that we look at ourselves and our life uh, and uh, other things, uh, looking at you, Lord, how to relate to you, that, that are not quite right, that are off. There's expectations we have that need to be adjusted. There's ignorance we have that needs to be informed. There's doubt that needs to be changed to faith. Lord, we ask you through your word to do these things. When you speak, there's life, there's faith, there's wisdom, there's truth. So speak now, Lord. Your servants, listen. Help me to serve you and to serve your precious people in the preaching of your word. We look forward to what you will do, Lord. Be pleased. Do all that you want, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Let's look at Psalm 120 together. So the first in this series serves as an introduction of sorts, a short psalm. Read Psalm 120. It says, A song of ascents. In my distress, I called to the Lord. And he answered me. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you, and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace. But when I speak, they are for war. Psalm 120, the first of the songs of ascents. This one is sort of an introduction to the Psalms and introduces some key themes here, like we've mentioned, anticipating being with the Lord, living on the journey and experiencing the distress of the journey. It starts out with uh, a, a phrase in verse 1 that really, in some ways, sums up these, all these Psalms and really all the Psalms in Scripture, and I would say even in some way sums up the experience of the believer. A simple, short 
sentence, in my distress, I called to the Lord and He answered me. In my distress, I called to the Lord and He answered me. This is the heart cry of God's people. The heart cry of His children, of believers. In my distress, I called to the Lord and He answered me. Now we can, we can truncate this sentence and, and say that it's really the heart cry of all humanity if we just say, in my distress. That describes all of humanity. Everyone, sooner or later, on this earth, in this broken world, says, in my distress. To live in this world, to live in this broken world, is to sooner or later experience distress. To experience the ravages of sin and evil. To be far from true peace. To live in this world is to experience, sooner or later, distress. That's the reality. That's the reality we don't like. That's the reality we run from. But nevertheless, that is the reality. And if we live long enough, we will face distress. There's no way around it. We can run from it. We can pretend otherwise. We can try to find ways to cope, but the reality is to live in this world, this broken world, this, this world full of sin and evil and dysfunction is to experience distress. Just watch the evening news. The evening news makes money out of reporting the distress of this world. It's full of murders, robberies, fraud, extortion, political unrest, broken families, broken relationships, all these things that plague our world. These very things that some of you this morning are experiencing in one way or the other. Distress is the common lot of all mankind in this broken world. Just this last week, I had to drive down to Plymouth, Mass., to meet with a police officer. I went down with my two sons, and we had to walk through my parents' vacation home. This is the home my dad built. Uh, and now, with my dad just recently passing, it's a very special place. It represents my dad's life. Uh, and uh, it, it seems that a, uh, a welcoming committee of thieves decided to prepare our home for our first return since my dad's passing. And they broke in the house, and... Uh, and did some damage. Thankfully, it wasn't that serious. We were able to go down and it wasn't too serious, but it was certainly distressing. The thieves didn't know that my dad had just passed. The thieves didn't know that my mom hadn't yet gone back to the house since my dad had passed, that we hadn't been there together, but somehow they, they managed to create quite a homecoming and create quite a amount of distress for my family. Life is full of stuff like that. They can be major things. They can be minor things. It may be just the distress that's more run-of-the-mill. The distress of, of just getting through the month and there's too much month at the end of the paycheck. Or the distress of, of, of wayward children. Or the distress of final exams. The distress of a difficult work situation. The distress of chronically bad health. I was, uh, uh, my two younger ones were in a play with their school, West Side Story, and, uh, and uh, they did a wonderful job, and I watched it, and my son played his character, Riff, if you know the story, who, who gets killed in the story. And, uh, and I'm watching it, and I know it's a play, and I'm getting emotional watching uh, my, this happen. Um, and and uh, 
And I'm thinking, what a, what a baby I am. And, and, I, <laughs> and, and I thought, you know what? The reason this is doing this is they're doing a good job in the play and it's touching something deep. That the the storyline is just so tragic. You know, these, of these two gangs, these young people that, that think that Life is about defending their territory and, and are willing to kill each other. And, and that describes the present reality for many young people in our cities. And, uh, and I know, I mean, as a pastor, I, 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 I deal with people like this. Um, there's stuff that goes on in our church. There's, thankfully, there's stuff that goes on outside the church. There's people who walk into my office during the week, and I'm so glad, and, and, and come in with, with tremendous distress. Things like this. Life is full of distress. And so that description of the psalmist describes us all in my distress. But there's a difference here, isn't there? There's more to the sentence. In my distress would describe all of humanity, would describe all of us, but there's something more here. There's more to the sentence. He says, In my distress I called to the Lord. In my distress, I called the Lord. The difference with the psalmist, the difference with the child of God, the difference that can be something we all experience is that in my distress, I called to the Lord. That there's God. That God exists. That He's there. And, 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 and he, he is able to meet us. He's able to answer us. That makes all the difference. Read through the Psalms. You'll see... You'll see all sorts of distress. You'll see all sorts of expression, all sorts of heart cry, all all sorts of trouble that the psalmists go through. But the difference is they call to the Lord. There is faith. There is God. He's present. And and you know, uh, the psalms don't pull punches. Some of the psalms are dark. Some of the psalms, there's no resolution to the distress, at least in the psalm itself. But there is the Lord. And we know when we cry to Him, He brings resolution. It's interesting in this sentence, if you see in your Bible I, I, how, how His name is spelled, it's Lord, pretty easy, four, four letters, but they're capitalized in most translations. L-O-R-D, all caps. And that is shorthand to represent the divine name of God. The divine name of God that, that is pronounced uh, Yahweh or Old English Jehovah. And and this psalmist is crying to somebody. He's crying to the Lord. And it's the character of God represented in that name that makes all the difference. He's crying to the Lord. And Yahweh uh, means, the name means I am, or, or maybe another way is I always exist. I am the eternally existent one. I am the ultimate reality. That's what that name means. He's the Lord of hosts. The same Lord for the psalmist, he would have understood. This is the same God who called Abraham out of darkness to himself. He's the same God who who set apart his people for himself. The same God who worked mightily to rescue his people from the most powerful nation on the earth. A nation that, that was bent on creating its own, its own kingdom apart from God, opposing God. A, na- a nation that, that designed systematic murder of God's people. He was the God who delivered them in power, who squashed entirely the great power of Egypt, the murderous pride of Pharaoh. The name, the, the name of the God who delivered them from death and destruction. 
This one who had no beginning and no end. Almighty, ever-present, merciful, patient. Ultimately, the God who not only is mighty and a deliverer, but who, who came as a man to live amidst our distress. And to bear the greatest distress any human being ever bore. To bear sins on the cross, the sins of His people on the cross, to suffer infinite agony as He bore the, the perfect, holy justice of God for sin on the cross, who bore distress beyond anything we could imagine. Why? Because He loved us. And He wanted to be able to answer that prayer. I cried to the Lord in my distress. He wanted to provide forgiveness and reconciliation in Christ taking our sins and Christ offering up His righteous life so He could receive us as if we had lived a perfectly righteous life ourselves. That He could receive us and answer us in an unqualified way in our distress. So the psalmist says, in my distress I called to the Lord. And that makes all the difference. If you're here this morning and and you're in distress, the call of this psalm is to call to the Lord. If you're not yet a believer, we're glad you're here. You're welcome here. We want you to take your time to think through these things, but we want you to call to the Lord in your distress. And the psalmist says, He answered me. And He answered me. The God the, the God who is the eternally existent One, the ultimate reality, answered Him. And the psalmist could have stopped right there. And that sentence by itself is fantastic. But he goes on to talk about his particular distress and his particular call to the Lord. And the answer here, in some ways, it's hinted at but not given entirely. But we know that this psalm is set in the context of these songs of the journey. So the answer is implied that God has answered him in bringing him to the place of God's presence and peace that he longed for. So God, this psalm is, is, is really an explanation, an expansion of this initial cry. As we look through the psalm, we see that this this person is living away from the peace and blessing of God's presence in Jerusalem. He's, he is away from God's presence, away from Jerusalem, which means city of peace. Why is it called the city of peace? Because it's the place where God dwells, where we are reconciled with God and experience the shalom of that. It's the place, ultimately, when Christ returns, a, a picture of the peace He will bring, of ultimate reconciliation with God and and. and all of creation being reconciled in this eternal shalom where God brings His peace that affects all things. He's, this psalmist, though, is away. He's away from that. He's living in a culture that is not a culture that loves God. He's surrounded by people who are deceitful, who are hateful, who are warlike, who lie. Ultimately, the the trajectory for any culture or civilization that does not run to God as King and Savior is to become a people that live by lies, that live by war, that live by deception. And so this psalmist is living amidst these people and it is so difficult. It says that, uh, he says, Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech, that I dwell among the t- tents of Kedar. 
these are two areas. Meshech was an area that was uh, near the Black Sea. And it was an area that was known for people that were barbaric. Uh, Kedar is a place near Arabia, and it also known for people that were wild. They're about a thousand miles apart. So the psalmist isn't saying, I live in both of these places, because that's an impossibility. It can't be in two places at once. What he's communicating is, I live among total barbarians. I live among people that have no regard for God and His ways, no regard for the peace. They, they don't long for the shalom peace that I long for. They're not interested in going to Zion. They're interested in, in, in destruction. They're interested in living as the enemies of God. And this is where I live. And he says, woe to me. Woe to me. Now, we hear that, and I don't know about you, but I think of like those old silent films and it shows the maiden. Woe is me. Do you guys remember that? ever seen those? Woe is me. It just sounds pathetic, you know, when someone says, woe is me. But that's not really what this is. This is a strong, strong statement when he says, woe is me. Uh, it, 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 maybe we would say, I'm doomed. I am doomed. My life is, is, is an epic failure. That's what he's saying. My life is an epic failure. I live in Meshech. I live among the tents of Kedar. I live among these people who are awful. It's horrible. Life is terrible. I long for Zion. I long for the peace of God. And yet I live in this distress of being surrounded by people that are, that are awful. And this is the experience of the children of God in this world in one way or another. Maybe for you. Maybe you've experienced this in some way. Maybe it's in the workplace. Maybe you're in a workplace where, where gossip and backbiting and rivalry are the rule of the day. Maybe you're in a workplace where, where the one who's the most popular is the one who has the best put-down or the nastiest joke. And you live in that, and that's what you, that's what you see day to day. Maybe, maybe it's a family environment, God forbid, but maybe it's a family environment where things are so broken and backwards that it, it feels like just pure hell to be there. Maybe it's your neighborhood. There are neighborhoods in our city full of gangsters and drug use. And you have an option when you're in those neighborhoods. Some of our folks live in those neighborhoods where you basically have to lock your doors and shut your windows and stay hidden inside to stay away from it or you go out and become part of it. You dwell among the tents of Kedar. Or maybe your experience of Meshach just comes from the realization when it really hits you of the, the darkness and depravity of your own heart. When you look and you recognize, you know what? Sin is always with me. There's always some compromise in my heart. I want to do good, but there's evil there. And every day, every minute of every day is a battle for me where I have to battle this sin in my own heart. And then when I start to think about it, I realize, you know what? No one else is different than me either. And when I look around, we're all these dark sinners trapped in some ways, it seems, in this darkness. There have been times when I've felt like that. I've looked at my own depravity, looked at the depravity around me, and just thought, oh, this is awful. I'm just in, in this swamp, stuck. I'm in distress. I'm among the tents of Kedar. I live in Meshech. Woe is me. Epic failure. 
That's what's going on with this psalmist here. He's coming to the Lord. And part of the answer for him is, is he's anticipating God dealing with his enemies. He says, and, I'll, and I'll, we'll talk about this, he says in verses 3 and 4, What shall be given to you, and what shall, more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? He's speaking about these people who are so awful around him. And he says, A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. In other words, death and destructions come in your way. Now, we see these sort of statements in the Psalms. These are called imprecatory statements. Basically, a big word that means prayers of cursing. And just before you start praying imprecatory statements to your coworkers and your neighbors, let's take some time to understand this a little better and how we do this. Um, I, we don't want to be using these things wrongly. So a, f- a few things to cover to help us understand how to understand this aspect. This is part of the answer the psalmist is anticipating. He's anticipating God dealing with these enemies. But first, these, these curses that he's, he's anticipating, he's in a sense praying, this is, these curses are not for people that he merely doesn't like. This isn't for someone who cut him off in traffic. You cut me off, a warrior's sharp arrows and glowing coals of the broom tree on you. This isn't for the waiter who brought the cold soup to, the, to your table. Imagine turning to your waiter, a warrior's sharp arrows and glowing coals of the broom tree. Now that's not what's going on here. This is not someone who just kind of got him a little upset, someone he doesn't like. There's something deeper. These are deep and committed enemies of this person. Deep and committed, unrepentant enemies. And they are ultimately enemies of God himself. So when the psalmist says this, he's speaking in a sense for God to these enemies. He's pronouncing the curse that God himself would bring on his ultimate enemies in the end. Or before the ultimate end as well. These people are those who oppose God by opposing His King or Kingdom. That's what we see in the Psalms. When there are committed enemies of the Kingdom of God and the King, there are times when the psalmist will pronounce curses on those enemies. And thirdly, uh, another aspect is that these Psalms were composed when the Kingdom of God was understood and and was was rightly represented by the Kingdom of Israel, by the theocratic Kingdom of Israel under the Mosaic Covenant, under the Davidic, anointed Davidic king. It was a, a time, a season in the life of God's people where the kingdom of God, at least the closest thing to the kingdom of God, was the kingdom of Israel. So to oppose the kingdom of Israel was to oppose the kingdom of God. And so there was a, a, an ability to pronounce curses on those that would oppose the kingdom of God. And we know the rest of the story that that kingdom was a type of the ultimate kingdom. The ultimate kingdom under the covenant of Christ, under the rulership of Christ, is the ultimate kingdom of God where He rules and reigns. And this kingdom is a kingdom received by faith. Faith ultimately in what the King has done and what He will do. It's a kingdom who comes that way. It's a, it's a kingdom through faith. It is a spiritual kingdom, not a geopolitical kingdom. So it's different. And we also know from the New Testament that as, as this kingdom has, is being fulfilled, as we understand the Old Testament was a picture of the future kingdom, we, we understand that the enemies of, of Israel 
were a picture of the ultimate enemies of the true kingdom, this kingdom received by faith, this spiritual kingdom. That, that When I say spiritual, I don't mean it's always just going to be spiritual. It, it involves the earth. There's going to be redemption of the earth. But, but the, the spiritual kingdom, the enemies of this kingdom are spiritual enemies, that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers of this dark world. So this fulfillment of what we see in the Psalms helps us understand how to relate to these imprecatory statements. Where the, the curses were against these people from Kedar and Meshech, any curses that would go on now would be from the, ultimately from the lips of the king, Jesus, towards his enemies, Satan and his minions. And at the end, those who affiliate, have affiliated themselves with Satan and his minions, and who have refused to repent. But now, the way we relate to people is not to pronounce curses on them. Now is the day of favor. Now is the day of grace. Now is the day where we relate to those who would align themselves with Satan, men and women. We relate to them not pronouncing curses, but pronouncing the gospel to them. These tidings of good news. These terms of peace for them. If they would turn from their sin and trust Christ. That's what we pronounce. So it shifts. It shifts how we relate to them. We pronounce the Gospel. We call them to believe and receive these wonderful terms of peace if they would repent and believe. And if they refuse, ultimately on the final judgment day, they will have aligned themselves with Satan and his minions and there will be a curse pronounced on them. They will be cast out from the presence of God. They will experience death and destruction. They will experience a warrior's sharp arrows in the glowing coals of the broom tree. May the Lord have mercy on them. And may we learn to live as his people, recognizing our need for rescue from that day through Christ alone. So it, it changes how we understand these verses. And instead of being called to curse our enemies, it, it shifts now. And we understand that now that we relate, our true enemies are these spiritual forces of darkness, the, the devil and his minions. And the devil and his minions are our intent on destroying the kingdom. And our intent on manipulating people and affecting people and, and controlling and domineering uh, the nations. And we are to live in the tents, among the tents of Kedar and in Meshech as ambassadors. We live there as ambassadors in the name of the King. For we know Jesus Himself was sent to dwell among us, among sinners. So that we would see His glory. We would behold Him and know Him and know His grace. And we are called similarly to live among these tents and to live among those of Meshech as ambassadors for Him. Bringing these terms of peace. Demonstrating through our lives the reality of the Kingdom. And calling them to repentance and faith. And this understanding of our Christian faith is so important. This understanding of how we live in the journey right now is so important. And if we miss this, we're going to struggle. We live in Meshech. We live among the tents of Kedar. And that's by design. Our home is Zion. Our home is to be with the Lord. And that is our destination. And we will get there. But we live now as ambassadors. Our job now is to recruit as many as we can by His grace to come on the journey to Zion, to be rescued from Meshech and know the King and long for Zion. And we'll taste of Zion now. We'll talk about that. 
But we're here as missionaries. And if we don't understand our lives that way, it won't make sense. And we'll merely want to be out of here. Get me out of Meshach. Get me out of Meshach. And we'll we'll make mistakes. We'll try to create a, a, a fake Zion here. We'll try to make a fake Zion. We'll make a church and we'll kind of be a little group of happy Christians, hopefully, together. And we'll be careful about who comes and goes, right? And and we'll try to make this fake Zion, and it won't work. We are a missionary people. We are on a journey. We are ambassadors. We live in Meshach. And it's hard. It's hard. And you're going to feel, at times, woe is me. Why? Why does this happen? Why is it difficult? Why do I struggle? Life stinks in my distress. We call to the Lord, and He answers us. But we live among barbarians. And we all were once ourselves barbarians. And this is an increasing reality. We live in a culture that is moving quickly to barbarianism. Not since... Not since the early medieval age has the West been so dominated by a non-Christian viewpoint. And, and, and certain missiologists call the new, the new culture and the new people in it the new barbarians. Actually, I have a quote, I think, to show uh, later on uh, by George Hunter. And in his book on the Celtic wave of evangelism, he says, A host of new barbarians substantially populate the Western world once again. Indeed, they are all around us. Many of them are, quote, secular. That is, they've never been substantially influenced by the Christian religion. They have no Christian memory and no church to return to. Many have never acquired a church etiquette. They would not know when to stand or where to find Second Corinthians or what to say to the pastor after the service. And they are not civilized or refined enough to fit and feel comfortable in the church down the streets. Often they're thought to lack class. They have unshined shoes or body odor or grease under their fingernails. In conversation, they might split an infinitive or utter an expletive. Many new barbarians are addicted, and their lives are at least sometimes out of control around some substance, such as alcohol or, co- or cocaine, or some process, such as sex or gambling. Many Western cities appear, at least at times, to be taken over by the new barbarians. I have an announcement to make. Haverhill is being taken over by new barbarians. Manchester is being taken over by new barbarians. This is what's around us. And if we don't understand that we live in Meshach as ambassadors, we're going to get lost in all that's going on and lose the place God has for us. He's called us to live as his missionaries. Our real enemies are the spiritual forces of darkness that have captured and manipulated the masses around us. It's hard. We will say, woe is me. But God is our God. And He will answer us. And in our hearts is that longing for that shalom. And we're going to have that until it's fulfilled. That longing that you feel, that that sense that makes you say, woe is me, is a good thing. That's the longing for the kingdom. And that longing is put there by the king. Why? Because he's going to fulfill that longing. So see that that waiting and that aching as a good thing, as a prayer to God. God, I long for this. He will fulfill it. He has sent His Son to die and rise again. His Son reigns and He will return. And it will happen. No, it wasn't May 21st that it happened, but it will happen. It will come. It will be done. Sadly, those those sort of circuses 
take away from the, the, the wonder of the promise that awaits us. And it will happen. Life for us is a journey awaiting our safe arrival as we dwell among the tents of Kedar, as we live in Meshech. And in our distress, we cry to the Lord and He answers us. He answers us in two ways. We know that He will deal with his, our enemies ultimately. That is the answer in the psalm, part of the answer in the psalm. But also the implied answer is that He'll answer us by bringing us home. He will bring us home. He guarantees it by His life and His death and His resurrection. He will bring us home. We will go home soon. Our terms are short here. And He's told us in His Word, John chapter 14, He says to His disciples, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many rooms. Another translation I like is, In My Father's villa are many homes. We live in this complex of called heaven, where we'll be with the Lord. In my Father's house are many rooms. If we're not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to Myself. That where I am, you may be also. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. John 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The older I get, the more I realize that this place is not my home. That I can never make this my home. That the very best that we all would ever do will never make this our home. Now, He has us here as ambassadors. And the kingdom has come and is coming. But the kingdom is here, but it's not yet. It won't be here till the end. And we have to recognize this isn't our home. And surely we are to live for the kingdom. Surely we are to be ambassadors. Surely we are to bring the kingdom. But it will never be more than a half-built kingdom here. It will never be more than the beta version of the ultimate kingdom. It will have bugs. It will have problems. The very best we ever get will still be very much broken. doesn't mean be passive. We have work as ambassadors, as kingdom builders. But we'll never get past the beta version until the author and finisher of our faith comes and returns and finishes it. And that's where our home is. We have to look at life that way. We have to understand what our final home is. God promises us. Jesus promises it to us and gives us peace. God answers us that way first and foremost. If the, the bank could come up as we close. Secondly, He promises us peace along the journey. This is the second part of how He answers us. In the, really, through these Psalms, you'll see this. There's peace along the journey. There's peace as we recognize the promise of the end state. We experience peace. But the journey itself, He does dwell with us. And in a sense, we do experience our home as we go because the Lord is with us. 
We get to be with His people. We get to taste. Sunday mornings is a wonderful taste of heaven. We're together and the Lord's with us. And we experience His peace and His truth. Jesus said in Matthew 28, when He calls us to go out and live among the tents of Kedar and Meshech, He says in Matthew 28, Go therefore and make disciples of the people from Meshech, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. We've talked about that. And then He says this, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He promises peace for the journey as He dwells with us. He says, go out and live in Meshach. Go out and and be ambassadors for Me. And I will be with you always to the end of the age. I will personally escort you along the journey to make sure you get home. I will escort you and be your comfort and strength as you live in Meshach, as you dwell among these tents. I will be there with you. The King Himself escorts us. Can you imagine, can you imagine if, if, uh, if, if you were asked to be an ambassador to Afghanistan right now? That would be a dangerous and scary prospect. But can you imagine if President Obama said to you, well, a second thing I want to tell you is I'm going to personally escort you in all that you do. And you know that if President Obama was there, they'd have like 10,000 troops around him and the best Navy SEALs and equipment. There'd be all the resources that come with him with you in that job. That's what life is like for us. God is with us. He escorts us. He is our peace. He walks with us. He's with us along the journey. And He guarantees to take us to our final destination. And He guarantees to use everything along the way for our ultimate good. This is what it is to be a Christian. This is what it is to be God's people. He is with us along the journey. In my distress, I called to the Lord. And He answered me. To be a child of God is to be on a journey. It's to have homesickness for the peace and presence of God as we dwell in enemy territory. But most importantly, it's to cry out to God in our distress and have Him answer us to grant us peace for the journey and peace at the end of the journey, even as we are ambassadors in enemy territory. May He grant you His peace. Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank You for Psalm 120. We thank You for Your Word. Thank You for how You teach us. Lord, I know there, that for many of us, and really for all of us, at some point we feel distressed. We feel the woe is me. So for some of us here right now, that is a very intense distress. I ask you to comfort your people. Grant us the faith to cry out to the one who always and always will exist. And answer us, Lord, and use us along the journey. For your great purposes, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.